Okie doke, everyone. Welcome to Going Off Track. Okie doke is the most masculine way to begin any recording ever. Okie dokie and Heidi ho. It is Going Off Track. <laughs> Today's guest is Dan Kennedy, author extraordinaire. Yes, Dan. Uh, I got his first book. His first memoir is incredible. It's called Loser Goes First, and it is one of the funniest books I've ever read, and I reread constantly and laugh like a crazy person. When did it come out? It came out in 2003. Wowzers. So, uh, and then he wrote a second book, Rock On, and now his third book, American Spirit, is coming out. Um, and it's his first novel. It's not a memoir. And um, super shows how versatile he is. And it's really awesome. And I'm so psyched that he was able to come on the podcast because I wanted to talk to this dude forever. We were psyched to have him. And right before he came on, we even joked around about having Jonah read the entire book. Yeah, we thought loud. it would be funny because... I held it up, and then someone was like, are you going to read uh, part of it? And I thought it would be funny to read the entire book. And then have the interview after it. But we don't have the balls to do it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I think that would probably be... Would that be illegal? I guess Probably. So. Yeah. I don't know. When it comes out in the spoken word, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. If that hasn't come out yet. But it has come out. I don't out. know if it's a yeah, but people buy audiobooks. Like I, audiobooks I don't own probably, I don't I don't own the rights to this book. Like I can't just give you know it you away. Know, you know you don't get residuals for audiobooks? Really? Yeah. What? Like you get a you get a you get um uh, basically a buyout, you get a fee, like a session fee. And depending on who you are, you get Is it, it. renewable? Uh, I don't know, but like the dude who does all oh, of Oh, you mean the voiceover time? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you get all like the guy who does all the Harry Potter books, which are amazing. I've listened to most of them; they're phenomenal. He, like, you know, he gets paid to do it, and that's it. Yeah, could go either way. Yeah, he he can probably negotiate his fee. Mm -hmm, Yeah, but but you know, it doesn't get like uh, he's probably read a lot of books that didn't go, didn't sell. (laughs) This is how crazy I am. You guys are having this conversation. What I'm thinking is, (laughs) I should write a movie about an illiterate guy who wants to read audio (laughs) books. (laughs) oh there's a dream (laughs) like it could be like this inspiring thing where like i mean i guess you would just have to learn how to read like there's no way around that yeah (laughs) that would be the question that would be every critic but that's like it's a great it's very funny but he just needed to learn how to read (laughs) yeah that would be the cool part if he didn't if he was like i refuse to learn how to read but i want to read audiobooks and it was like his struggle and it was like this inner turmoil and he overcomes and like and at, the very, and at the very end, he's standing, you know, on the surf coming in. His buddy, who's been reading audiobooks forever, <laughs> says to him, like, you know, do you still read audiobooks? He goes, every day. <laughs> Dan Kennedy, ladies and gentlemen. It's going on track! Yes, today on Going Off Track, our guest is Dan Kennedy, who has a new novel american spirit coming out this week and, and also you wrote a book that you carried around with you yeah. for 10 years these are guys first this is crazy i actually have um like the promo copy of that the uncorrected proof oh, and i've kept it for like 10 years and i i moved three times last year alone so this oh, thing has made that one a lot for a of while trips, it, but uh where'd they put uncorrected um i think it's on, oh yeah on yeah the right on the cover was, That's awesome. <laughs> I was, that was I when I was that for ages. Is this a different cover than the? Um, well, that you know, I just always like to see where they put uncorrected proof. Oh, yeah. you know, in the cover art, and that one I forget. I like that. That's the best one. Yeah, it looks it's on a rocket. Yeah, that's right where you want it to say uncorrected proof. 
And I remember reading this book, and it's so funny. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, how did it sort of come come about? I guess um, that book. Um, well, you know, it came about by um, just screwing up a lot. But um, I, the story on that is, I was in a, a period of my life uh, where I lost my job. Um, this is a recurring theme, so I should specify which job. It was the dot-com job. We were all supposed to become millionaires. And, um, and only one of us did, the smartest one of us did. And that's clearly not me, if you've read anything. Um, and, um, I just lost that and I just stopped drinking and, uh, I was sitting in my apartment. It was this tiny apartment and that I was renting and, what am I going to do now? And I had just told my first story at the Moth main stage. This was maybe like 99 or 2000. And um, someone in the audience said, do you ever write down the stuff that you say on stage? And I was like, well, first of all, I usually don't say stuff on stage. This is all new, you know? And she was like, oh, well, you should write that stuff down, you know, like do a book or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, let's try that, I guess. You know, at first I was like, that sounds ridiculous. Like, nah, probably not, you know? And then I got home and I was like, dude, you seriously need to find money for like food and stuff in a big way. And I was like, I think you maybe, I'm one of those idiots that like, they have to like hit him with the sign over the head like 10 times where I'm like, just give me a sign. And, uh, like that movie with Jim Carrey. So anyway, I was like, I was like, oh, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I did it. And, and. And sold it to, you know, an agent took it out and sold it. And that's, you know, obviously that's the thing you hear some fucking guy on a podcast say. And you're walking down the street with your headphones in and you're just like, you just like flip off the sky. You're like, die, God. (laughs) It wasn't that easy at all. It was that that was like the boiled down like, hey, let me tell you anecdotally how I did that. You didn't write it on a Monday and get the agent on Tuesday. Yeah, no, it was like. It was a long process where, you know, I went broker than I ever thought I could possibly be in a city and then like just did crazy stuff, like learned how to eat on a dollar twenty one a day and stuff like that. And uh and then yeah, and then and then I get this call from the agent that says, Oh, you know, we've got a deal and I'm like, right on and this was so lame, but I went out and bought this like really expensive shirt. I was like, I'm somebody <laughs> and uh I charged it on my American Express, which I still managed to hang on to, and uh, which you have to pay off in 30 days. And, and I was like, hey, when's that? After, like, after two weeks, I'm like, when's that money coming? And by the way, it wasn't a lot of money, especially after you pay taxes and an agent. And they're like, well, like generally in like five months. I'm like, <laughs> right on. This is shaping up sweet. Was the shirt dry clean only? Because that would have changed everything. It was. Nice. And it had like, you had to buy other stuff to close the cuffs. I'm like, all right, this is going to be worn with open cuffs. <laughs> were you, so were you and writing, not going to be cleaned. Were you writing for McSweeney's at the time? Yeah, that was one of the things I did when I found myself in, in the apartment with, I was like, okay, I have nothing to do from 10 to 6 because I don't have a job. And if I'm not drinking, I have nothing to do from 6.05 to 4 in the morning, you know? So I'm like, I guess I'll start typing stuff out. I've always kind of done that, you know, I'll just start doing that. And then I, McSweeney's was just starting and, um, I emailed them. 
such a lame, weird amount of stuff every day. I mean, I was going pretty crazy. This is a period of my life where I was like, I'm really adjusting to life without uh, partying and employment. And like, I had really weird habits. I used to have like 20 candles burning in my apartment. I started dating my girlfriend. And I was like, you should drop by sometime. She's like, okay, cool. And She's like, oh, guy that lives in a tiny apartment with like 24 candles burning in it? What the f-? You know, and I'm like, oh, come on in. I'm just drinking Red Bulls, like <laughs> sort of staring straight ahead, a little freaked out, like, you know, Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents when he's trying to just do Nicorette. Like, she's like, all right, so. <laughs> At any moment, this whole place could go up. <laughs> yeah, that. And she's probably like. All right, this is how it ends, you know. <laughs> this is the last apartment I walk into. That was a pretty fun ride on Earth. But is this, this is in New York? Yeah, this is in New York. And uh, so I just sort of, I don't know why she liked me. I don't know why. She thought I was funny. And I was just like, seriously, you think this is fun? This is a fucking situation I got on my hands. <laughs> I'm heating my apartment with candles. Yeah. I'm, and then I was calling the landlord and then I'd wake up like the next day. This is sober as a nun, by the way. Um, did are they sober? They drink probably actually. But anyway, Nuns? so they think they get. I think they're required yeah. religiously to drink. Yeah. And I think they take it too far. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to finish. If you're a priest, you have to finish off. what. It, this is true. You have to finish off what the congregation doesn't. You have to down it. Oh, and the Eucharist really? as well. You have to eat it. Plus, you get a place to live. Do you live at the church if you're? Yeah, I think there's you're, a re- yeah. It's you're a, the headliner. You get yeah, a thing. Yeah, it's a rectory. You live there, and the nuns have the nunnery. We should do this in like a year. I bet you that's going to be my gig. You get all the booze you can drink, and you don't have to pay rent. No, I mean there's some other issues. There's that believing in magic thing. That oh yeah, that whole part. But I guess you can fake that if you get a roof. If somebody tells me what to say, <laughs> like if I get lines, I just need a line read. Um. So, yeah, then I would get up the next morning after having like 20 candles burning in the apartment all night and pacing around and uh, I would call the landlord. There would be these like dark little spots on the walls and uh, I would call the landlord and say, I think there's a carbon monoxide leak. You know, I think they'd get a call from me like every morning going, who is that guy? And uh, it just turns out all the smoke goes to like the metal studs in the wall because... Those are like the warmest in the winter, so it attracts all the smoke from the... <laughs> no, it was terrible, man. It looked like... It's crazy. It was like a sting video in there. It was weird. Like, it didn't... It wasn't intense and awesome. It wasn't, like, dark and, like, whoa, this is a cavern. This guy's into Aleister Crowley. It was like, wow, did Crane Barrel have an amazing sale? <laughs> it was just, like, pretty humiliating. <laughs> Did you, have one of those, did you have one of those big giant <laughs> candles that just last for like 20 years? I didn't because I thought that took the fun out of it. I was like, I need something to manage. <laughs> I can't just like get one that has 25 wicks and call it good for a decade. It's like little pets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dan also had a column where he solved your problems with paper. Yes. For a long time, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, that was fun. I think that was Egger's idea in fairness. That was just something that... They were like, what about you doing this? And I was like, sure, totally. And I was thinking, who would re- who's really going to... Because I don't think anyone's having problems with paper products. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be fine. This is before The Office, which was set in a paper company. So I was like, no one thinks about paper products, I don't think. And then I just started getting all these emails from all over the world. <laughs> I was like, this is those, so those are actual questions? Those are actual... That's what oh, everyone always that. asks. <laughs> yeah, they're always like, are those? yeah, those are actual... You just, you get... 
it was the funnest gig. You get all these notes from people all over the world going, what here's my it? thing. I got a sticky note, but it doesn't have a... And you're like, all right, I got to research this. <laughs> well, I just assumed you meant paper magazine because I, I do have some problems with paper, uh, actually. That would have been... We <laughs> Why might is it have the same to, people over and over again that they should... <laughs> we should fire up the column again, maybe. Yeah. Take this on. Are you from New York? No. No, Where? I'm from California originally. Where? Um... Orange Orange County, so it's sort of the Rome of uh, <laughs> the Southland. <laughs> really? Yeah. But we, because I've know, been there. In fairness, <laughs> in fairness, we we you know I grew up there before it was any. I don't think it's it's not like it's cool now, but I know there was a TV show at some point. Anyway, I grew up when it was just awesome Chicano gangs that scared the hell out of you and. Uh, <laughs> Is pretty much that we lived in until my dad really started doing okay. We lived in well, this sounds hipster now, but we lived in the in the tough little suburbs like Garden Grove and Santa Ana. And my dad delivered. Um, he had a Pabst route, you know, drove the Pabst truck in Los Angeles, so he'd go up the four hundred five into L.A. and deliver cases of Pabst. And in the summer, uh, that was my babysitting program. It was pretty awesome. We'd just drive Ride around. Cab. Yeah, I'd jump in the truck. You know, the big whatever you call those, fifth wheel or whatever, and jump in the cab, and we'd go up the 405. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and we'd just deliver cases of Paps to all these markets, and um, it's one of the coolest things I remember about growing up and all the um, all the guys that had the markets, you know, in Los Angeles. They would tell me I could choose a candy if I wanted, you know? So it was like Halloween all summer, kind of. It was really fun. I get to ride in this and eat candy? yeah. And then we'd park the truck at Point Furman and uh, eat lunch, and we'd watch the whales migrating down. That actually does sound super cool. It was cool. kind of crazy cool. Like, it was it was really weird. It's one of the... I don't think my, my dad has any sense of... I think he's like... Well, assuming... I don't know how you guys are, but like me, I think he just assumes he like... I don't know. <laughs> messed up a lot of stuff or something. <laughs> but like, that was one of the cool... That's probably one of the coolest things I'll ever do in my life. Like counting everything that's happened in the last 10 years, all the places I've got to go, all the things I got to do, I think that's probably one of the coolest things I'll ever do. I you know, do it now. Yeah. Yeah. You probably do. <laughs> like it's that, you know, there were shootouts. That was pretty cool. Like, and there, there would be guys um, stealing kid, cases off the bat. you saw shootouts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you. I take it all back. It's horrible. Your dad screwed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fun. There was only like one shootout, but there was always somebody jumping on the, uh, you know, like gear. hop-ons, like on Arrested Development. There's always somebody, my dad would go in and there's just this little tiny, you know, seven-year-old man sitting in the cab trying to look badass and somebody would just walk up and laugh and like steal a case and bolt off. And I'd be like, oh, one guy took one. <laughs> my dad would be like, God damn it. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. so exciting too. You're an only child? Uh, no. No, I'm. I just see fit to write about myself and talk about myself. <laughs> but I have a really, I have a sister, um, and uh, she's really funny. She's she didn't fun. get to ride in the cab, though. No, she did other stuff though. Like she was before me. She's six years older, so like she went on some killer fishing trips out in the Pacific Ocean. So my dad. Before he had a family, he was a commercial fisherman in Southern California. So then he was really into like 
fishing out in the ocean as well, like for sports. So, you know, his first kid was a girl and I think he was just like, I think he just lit up a Kent unfiltered and said, well, she's going to be a fisherman, you know? And so she went on all the killer fishing trips before I came along. So no, like Marlins for you? No, but yeah, one, I caught a lot of big barracuda and tuna and yellowtail and stuff like that. When I was like seven, pictures of me holding up stuff, the tail comes over my head. I don't even know how I got, I remember one of my earliest memories. I remember my dad, I remember being on the ocean, like in the middle of the night, hooked up to something huge. And my dad, I'd feel my dad's finger go through the um, belt loop on the back of my pants to make sure I didn't go over while I was fighting this massive fish. (laughs) So were you always, when did you kind of... Was I supposed to walk in here and start saying all this shit? Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. I'm in the right place. It struck me as just a strange, odd, five minutes ago I was on a subway. (laughs) Were you writing, when did you start kind of writing about yourself, sort of, I mean, was that in high school or college or? Uh, well, the very first thing I wrote uh, was uh, in the seventh grade, I got uh, in trouble. I should mention, by the way, I'm making myself sound like an American badass. I was the total square goober growing up. Like, even when we lived where all those um, awesome Chicano gangs were, like the middle side, what were they, the middle side widows or something? Anyway, um when we lived, I wore velour, you know, my parents dressed me up like a 17th century <laughs> schoolboy on the, you know, going. Velour and tough skins. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. It was like tough skins and then like weird button up. But everybody in those neighborhoods had on like, you know, like cords and weed shirts. You know what I mean? <laughs> There'd be like seven and they'd be like, how do you like this? It's beer. And then on the back, there's a weed leaf. And then <laughs> the sleeves turn into chicks, you know, like, I don't know. They had the, you know, I'd be like, that's pretty neat. I got my ass kicked constantly, <laughs> constantly. Um, but I started in seventh grade, I got in trouble, made a joke. There was this teacher, I don't know if I can say his name, that being discreet, Mr. Kisner. And I think he was, I th- he partied with like seventh graders, I'm pretty sure, allegedly. <laughs> like, we had a seventh grade teacher like that. Did you it really? Was creepy. Like I could, I couldn't do the math when I was little, but I'd be like at the record store over by the mall and I'd be like, oh, there's Kisner with Julie and Steve. <laughs> like, what are they all, why are they just, but you know, <laughs> or maybe huh. he just wanted to, our teacher, I think maybe he just, he never actually went for it. Yeah. Like they might've had like the cool uncle complex or whatever. Right. I've been like, come on, I'll buy you the new Devo album. You know what I mean? Like, but as an adult, I'm looking back now and I'm like, dude, when is it game day for that decision? You work in a public school and you're like, Hey man, get all the seventh graders in my VW bug. We're going to like go buy Steely Dan albums. You know, like who's really thinking that's smart. Probably the one kid in the back going, nah, st- you had me until you said Steely Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's the kid that wanted Pablo Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got busted by him because I made some joke in class. Everyone started cracking up and he got really angry. And I had to write a, uh, a thousand word essay. Now, like, Jonah, you write stuff. Right. You guys, do you guys write stuff? A thousand Steven words. Yeah. Like, a thousand words <clears throat> these days, we'd be like, oh, too bad it's not 5,000 because then I could make some dough, you know? But like, exactly. back then, you're tiny and you're going, a that. Like, it's just like someone turned to you and went, you have to write one trillion words. <laughs> you know, like, I just was like, I'll never, okay, I'll finish when I'm 52. 
But it was a thousand word essay and I went home and I was really bummed out. And my mom said, why don't you uh, make it like a, a satirical essay about all this stuff you're telling me about your teacher? Like, which, you know, <laughs> no, it sounds like a real Oprah moment of inspiration. Wasn't a good call at all. <laughs> like, I don't know. In retrospect, I'm like, really, mom? You sent me back in there with a fucking hard hitting satire on this guy's everything he does with his career <laughs> and that's where he's the guy that ordered the piece okay so i went back in and and i stayed up like so late to coming up with the title and my mom and i were sort of collabo on the title and she was like what about sim kisner i was like i want to make it called kisner's law and I drew like a little badge around the K and she was like, it needs a subtitle, which to this day is something that haunts me in conference calls. It needs a subtitle, but, um, everyone <laughs> tells you something needs a subtitle. So she said, what about simple rules for simple people? And I was like, yeah, I like that. Like, I didn't even know what it meant really. Like that sounded as crazy as one of those political things, the clash say in one of their songs. I was like, simple rules for Your mom was people. mad at this dude for singling you out. I think she was. And so anyway, I took that back in there and that was like the worst pitch meeting I've ever had, basically. <laughs> Walked into class. He's like, Mr. Kennedy, do you have your blah, blah, blah? And I was like, yes, I do. You know, and I'm like, I hope this dude's a fan of satire. <laughs> this still seems weird to me. And I was like, here it is. Uh, you know, and I like turned around to walk back to my desk and he goes, Kennedy! Like, scream my name. I was like, this is already bombing. And uh, I turn around, and he goes, you may be rewriting this. And I was like, and I remember thinking, that's kind of passive language. You may be rewriting this. <laughs> like, this dude may not be as mean as he tries to come off. So, and he stole, oh, but then he threw a stapler at me, essentially. Like, the trajectory went just over my seventh grade head and, like, hit the wall and exploded like a TV movie of the week. <laughs> and uh, I had some look on my face that made everybody start cracking up. And then I was like, you can't. I said some smart-ass thing. Like, you can't throw a stapler. But I didn't mean it to be comedy. I was like, you can't do that. That's We're now in territory that's not cool. But everyone was like, yeah, it's a pretty good line. They started, like, <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, you guys are getting me in more trouble. So anyway... That was probably the first thing I wrote. And I took a very long break after that because, frankly, I didn't think writing paid at all after that. <laughs> well, you know? It sounds I was like, like anybody hurls something at you that yeah. might not be the best career Yeah, path. I was like, oh, hey, good for me. I can do this satire shit and get stuff thrown at me by adults. <laughs> so, so what got in the way until you wrote again? It seems like you moved around a lot. Moved around a decent amount. I tried a lot of things. That's kind of what the first book was about. Um, I tried a ton of things. Did you go to school in California? Yeah, I went to school in... in was I just telling you that? Oh, you mean like college? College, yeah. No, I didn't go to college, dude. Uh, no. I mean, come on. <laughs> I just, what did I just tell you? <laughs> come on. We've been talking for like 15 minutes and you're like, this guy's college material. I don't know, man. You're talking about satire at a young age. I learned satire a few years ago. <laughs> really? Didn't, and you went to college? Yeah, exactly. See? It you just got vilified, man. Yeah, it works feel? for most people. But I, well, I went, I went like to the community college to do the 101 stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I just ended, I spent all my time in the library and I got kicked, essentially kicked out. It's a pretty dramatic way of putting it. But they were just like, you've never attended one of these classes, you know? So, but now that community college just emailed me. 
yesterday about some, I think the first, the, yeah, the first book has a part in it about figuring out the rest of your life. And they say they teach it there Wow, <laughs> in the English. Funny. And they're like, will you come speak here? And I'm like, boom. It's such a like loser moment though. It's such a like a spade Joe Dirt moment. I'm like, <laughs> now who's sorry they kicked me out of the community college. <laughs> like I was like, really? That's your big victory? <laughs> That's cool. Brian Wilson wrote Pet Sounds when he was 30. <laughs> um, so your new book, American Spirit, does not have a subtitle. No, but it does say a novel in the star next to the bear's leg. <laughs> uh, to let you know what it is. Um, how did sort of... Obviously, you did the memoir about working in the music industry, Rock On, yeah. and then... Had you always kind of wanted to do a novel or was that just kind of something that came about? I uh, tried to write this book before I wrote Rock On and like it just came out one day sitting at the apartment. I was like, started this thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool and weird. And uh, it was the first thing I'd written like in third person about another character and stuff. And uh, and I instantly I had, I think, 15 pages and I was like, I can't, there's no way I can write this character. I'm so in over my head. I, it was like a Ouija board. I'm like, I don't know who sent this through me, <laughs> but I can't finish it. Um, so I wrote Rock On instead. It was just way more, you know, within my ability to do that. And uh, I wrote that. And that was, that came out in 2008. And over the next four years, I just kept trying to figure out if I could, oh, you know, this is the weird thing too. In that 20 pages was some stuff that had, that was just like, why well, don't have that kind of life experience? Like, um, in particular, getting these bad x-rays back from the doctor and thinking you're dying and then deciding to live like today's the first day of the rest of your life and basically making an entire mess of your life within about 24 hours, um, hadn't happened to me. And I was like, I don't think I'm that good of a writer. Like, I think this stuff has to be pretty close to the bone for me to nail it. I don't think I can just be like, oh, hey, I'm an 18th century loom operator. My name is Steve. You know, like, <laughs> and so. Um, it's very progressive 18th century loom operator. <laughs> yeah, did you hear that guy? A <laughs> little, little bit of an actor. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I really nailed that. Um, and uh, so then all this stuff, basically over the next you know, four years, all that stuff started happening to me. You know, I was standing in the kitchen trying to read my own x-rays going, that doesn't look good. That spot right there is definitely bad news. I have to start living today because this is, this is starting to close. And, um, I was like, whoa, it's a little weird. That was that guy in the book that I couldn't nail. So what was the story with the x-rays? Uh, there was, uh, um, there was a, it's, it's, it's uh, fine now, but there was a situation with them. There was, was, I don't know how much to say about this, but uh, it had, all turned out fine. You had a scare. I had a scare, yes. It, just, it was pretty, fairly normal. Yes, I had a health scare. And for a minute there, it was a real big 50-50 health scare. And it was just like, whoa, I should, whoa, this is weird. We're mortal. You know, it was that first one of those. Like some people get that early on, some people get that late on. I got that right at that moment. And it was also right at a moment where um, I had sold, been lucky enough to sell the rights to the second book, Rock On, to HBO. 
And I was like, wait a minute, I think it's all golden. I think I have health insurance now. I mean, not that that helps if you're dying. <laughs> but weirdly, I did find comfort in that. I was like, all right, either this thing is the one thing they think it might be, in which case nothing matters anyway, or it's not, but it's going to cost some dough or something. And uh, anyway, so I was like, I think I have health insurance. And so I... um I looked up my deal, you know, and it was for like a decent amount of money, not like life changing money or anything, but definitely year changing money. And I was like, yeah, that, that figure falls in what the writer's guild says you need to do to get the insurance. So I was like, oh, totally golden. And, uh, then we researched it and that's, it didn't work out that way. Cause 50% of the money was paid to me as a writer and 50% as a producer or whatever. Plus a co-writer had to come out of that and, Plus, the guild had it credited to someone called um, Danielle Kennedy. <laughs> so it's like this total Paul Giamatti character sitting in the apartment going, oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> so your health was in the hands of a spelling error. <laughs> yeah, everything was. That's, you know, that's the way it's going down here on Earth anyway, whether or not any of us want to admit it. <laughs> yeah. Big old random joint. <laughs> what I think it's so amazing about the new book is that the character, um, the protagonist, is in these absurd situations, but you see how he got there. And to me, that was, it seems like it could almost happen to anyone, how you say it's just a couple decisions away. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, it, it is kind of a couple decisions away. You say yes to a couple things and you drag your feet on a couple other things and all of a sudden you're like I mean I really think that, that like the stuff that I do with the moth on stage and and like these you know the books and stories and stuff like that now I don't I don't um I couldn't have done them when I was younger because I'm 45 now and it's really the first time that I've been able to see it's the very first time I've been able to see things pan out you know what I mean like you're able to see like some bands that you grew up on going up uh, here's how it ended for us, you know? And you're like, okay, I have like 10 examples of that now, which I didn't have when I was 28 or something, you know, or 25. And then you have friends move on and see how their lives progress. Like suddenly everything, I used to watch movies and stuff and read books when I was younger and be like, well, it's not real life. Like things don't progress like that, you know? You kind of wake up the next day and you still see all your friends and you're like, hey man, what's up? And everyone's still bored and, you know, it seems like drama. But then, years started going by, I'm like, whoa, shit really does happen. There really is an arc to stuff. And it seems like kind of coming to terms with aging is kind of another big part of the book. Is that kind of, is that something you kind of deal with as well? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But in fairness, I've been dealing with that since, uh, since I was 10, <laughs> which I remember the night, like, I remember it like it was yesterday. That was probably the start of my midlife crisis. <laughs> I just, I was like, at 10. At 10. Was it because <laughs> well, yeah, you were just happened? like, two digits, now what? Yeah, it was two digits. No it was totally way. two digits. Wow. Yeah. And I remember like my sister or my mom or somebody saying that, like, you know, like as a cute thing you say to a kid, you know what I mean? Like if, you know, a kid turns 10 and you're like, whoa, I don't know, dude, double digits now. Because you, you know? don't get three. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's, that's, that's a great point. You don't get three. I mean, very few of us. And if you do, you know. Who really wants the three? Yeah, what do you? Hey, I got What's... three. Just shit myself. <laughs> you, someone would have to say that for you. It would take you an hour to write that out. <laughs> People would think you were happy and just, you know, 
<laughs> you would get like the first letter written and they'd be like, that's a beautiful barn. Uh, <laughs> not drawing. So 10 years old, you start freaking out about aging. A little bit. I mean, I just went to sleep that night going, man, they're right. It's double digits. Dude, it's double digits. This is the same as 30. <laughs> you know, like, it's not a great, not a great, it's not a great brain to have. And you probably, I mean, the truth is you probably hadn't really accomplished much by 10, that you know, that was going to stay for the rest of your life. No. Did you the book by then? No. Well, <laughs> I wrote this thing, band? I wrote this thing called Banny, A Life by the Sea when I was like eight, but it didn't do anything, did no business. Probably weren't married. Didn't have any kids. Nope. Not married. Didn't have any kids. I had reason to be freaked out. It's probably true. <laughs> Look, I haven't done any of those things. <laughs> really? I still haven't done any of those things. Don't worry. <laughs> nah. Keep pushing them back. The next generation are going to have no grandparents for their children. That's the way it's going. Really? Everyone's, ha- everyone's having kids later and later. I got all my yeah. friends. Like, I never yeah, thought yeah. about that. 40s and oh, I didn't think kids. about that either. Yeah. yeah. And I say, I say that to my wife all the time just to annoy her because she gets very sad. She's like, we're not going to see him. And I'm like, I know, babies kind of suck. You know? <laughs> like, grandkids are awesome, but we're just not going to be around. Jeez. You know? And babies are, like, the first six months, you're just like, what? What have you And done? if we are, we'll be, we'll be drooling on them. Oh, totally drooling. Does everybody here have kids? Just us two. These guys do. You guys yeah. do. Jonah, you don't. Jonah's no. violently single and... <laughs> Violent. Not the single. adjective you want <laughs> in front of single. He's the most aggro single guy I've ever met. <laughs> right. No, we live by I'm Very gentle. Yeah. Um, someday we'll get him to tell the stories on the podcast, but um, <laughs> yeah. So they have kids. I don't. Hmm. You don't. I don't. Okay. No. Because we can sit here and talk about our kids if you want <laughs> for like ten minutes yeah. or so. I don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I think I, your stories are a thousand times more interesting. I kind of love that. I think kids are fun. I, mean, I think stories about kids are hilarious. I mean, at a certain point, they're the only thing that <laughs> really matters. Like, at a certain point, you're like, you're like, yeah, dogs and kids. <laughs> those are awesome. <laughs> you know. Motorcycles are cool. Oh, yeah, motorcycles. <laughs> All right, here's stuff I like. Which, which doesn't have a life expectancy. That's what's cool about the motorcycles. You maintain it. Yeah. You'll keep running. The dog, you got seven. That's eight. weird. That's that's a, I know. You know what I mean? Yep. But that's like kind of a, you know, that can be a good thing too, you know? I mean, I remember when I was a Jonah that I kind of, I, I was subconsciously hooking up with girls that I knew would like, I'd have to break up with after like three or four months. And oh, I felt yeah. like it was like yeah. cyclical, like it was a guarantee, <clears throat> like the I'm like, she's definitely not the one. <laughs> so she'd become my girlfriend because I knew that, like, I'd be fucking. Because four months is what, like, three years in dog years? Is yeah. that what that was? No, I'm just saying, like, with dogs, it's good to have a turnover sometimes, like a guaranteed <laughs> turnover. I mean, what if that you get a bad true. dog? Yeah. You well, it's wait. sort of true. Yeah, it's called the Humane Society. That makes sense. <laughs> but it's sad, man. Oh, yeah. It's sad when a pet dies. I don't know. I don't sad. usually open with that line on stage <laughs> or at parties, but but that's the thing that, like, since our you'd... cat died, which is what people say, which is really like, since we crushed, since we killed our cat because it got too old to live, um, um, 
you know, like since that day we had to take the cat to the vet, I've just been like out of that business. That yeah. was that's it for that. Really? Just yeah, I'm like big deal. I'll just I'll you know walk around New York City mumbling about what's wrong with the country. I don't need any. I don't need love. <laughs> that is, that I don't is need hard companionship. Though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. So, and I think that all the time. Like I always think, like oh, we should get another cat, or like oh, we should get a dog. We should get like you know blah blah blah. And then I'm like, mm, yeah, it's, uh, it's guaranteed, guaranteed pain. Guaranteed pain. In yeah, but if you get a years. cat, that's a good. You can get a. You can get a good fifteen twenty out of a cat. Yeah, you can. Yeah. But then you start freaking out about other stuff too. You're like, all right. Keep an eye on that because when it dies, I'm going to be old as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, you know what I mean? It's like I'm, I'm like getting, I'm looking at the cat in the little adopted cat cage going, so if I got you, by the time your time was up, I would be, and I'm like doing that math going, whoa, that's terrible. Really? <laughs> All right. Let's just, you know, it's like, let's take this taxi meter and just install it in the kitchen and start the death clock <laughs> when can, you get your new cat if you get to that point mm-hmm. it, its name must be death clock oh yeah <laughs> and you can call it dc and people can wonder wow is he cool is, he, is he down at the district does he like shoes and you can be like no Cat's <sighs> death clock and somehow that, that- I find that really comforting. Like that might be my ticket in to taking care of another living thing. <laughs> Naming it, like just being that upfront with the truth. Come here, death clock. <laughs> Come here, another day has passed. Should we each put food into our biological containers? Are you having a feeling or am I projecting that onto you? Like have a very, just very mindful relationship with the animal. You can get two called one, name one one foot. Yeah. You know. Come here. Come here, one foot and death clock. <laughs> I'm let's watch the same program on TV that I like. I'll anthropomorphize your tastes a little bit and your whole your whole carriage. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> just be there, that aware. Maybe is there a pet that lives, you know? <clears throat> yeah, it's there's a pet a, that doesn't it's a turtle. Yeah, a turtle. No, no, a pet that doesn't live very long at all, so that you could do like my serial girlfriend thing and just be like <laughs> You know, like a, a pet that lives for a year, and then you get can a just butterfly. Be like, be like I'm, f- I'm fine. Look at me. I'll tell you. First of all, hermit crabs are good in that category, and it's hard to get emotionally attached to them. Right. My sister had one. And they're guaranteed and to die. They're guaranteed to die, and not only that, but they're so not really even meant to be away from the coast, right. the beach. And my sister had one. So that really is a death clock. The minute you take them out of the water. Kind of, but you don't think about it that way because they also just look like a decorative shell most of the time and occasionally come out. And my sister's died under the seat of her Pinto wagon in the 80s, under the driver's seat. I don't know what she was doing yeah. taking it for a drive. <laughs> like I've never, There's so many questions you don't ask in families. <laughs> you, bo- you bored, Krabby? <laughs> yeah, I think she was. I think she was like, hey, Krabby, do you want to – have you seen the new mall? Like, I don't know what, that's so deranged. Why did Maybe, maybe the crab knew like, the history of the pinto and it's like, I'm just going to die before anything Sounds like happens. a hit to me. You're taking this crab for a ride. I, <laughs> He's not coming it back. It sounds like it could be like a Pixar movie. <laughs> we should text her right now. I wonder if she'd reply and just find out what the crab, yeah, she why? called it Percy. P-E-R-C-Y. Wow. I don't know how to spell it. I, I don't think there were docu- the documents. Yeah, you should. Listen, if my sister ever 
realizes how talented she is. I'm out of work. <laughs> what does she do? She works for like the Office of Education in California. She works in education. Oh, and her skills are wasted. On yeah, and what's yeah, probably I mean she's oh yeah, they are. Look, <laughs> she texts me like basically that. Like she texts me the funniest things from this office where she's seen as an adult that it's hilarious. I'm just like, oh my God, she's still this cool girl that I used to hang out with and just like we still, you know, think like 19 year olds. But what got you to New York? Um, oh God, this is particularly okay. Well, uh, I came here to be an MTV VJ, which I don't, God bless my friend Sherry. Um, she was dating my friend Cam at the time. I had a college radio show in Seattle at what is now KEXP. And she heard the show and was like, oh, this guy should come. We're looking for new people. You know, this was back in the day, like the 90s, late 90s, I guess. Anyway, um, we're looking for new people and he should come out and, you know, audition or whatever. And I don't know, like, like I said, God bless Sherry and Cam. I don't know where they saw that fit because the stuff I said at six in the morning on a college radio station after I played like Galaxy, you know, whatever the hell, like after I played all the stuff, you know, Para Ubu or some weird ass um, track, like it was not, it wasn't perky stuff, you know, it's like <laughs> the same package that you got today. It was just a little younger. I mean, and at six in the morning in a town where it rains 300 days a year, I was like, all right. I was, uh, I was like Greenberg on downers. Like, you know, I would just say shit like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, the stuff we were saying about cats or something. And she was like, VJ, get him out here. I think Per Ubu is the only thing you can play in a place that rains 300 days a year. I know. I think you're right. And uh, so then I came out to New York to, uh, it was between, I was auditioning for a show called total request live to be the host and uh it was between me and this guy named carson daly i remember that i remember thinking and they had just signed some guy from canada named tom green and i was like i don't know i'll try it sure you know and i came out here it's kind of my ticket to get out here and then uh but it went terribly it just went terribly it didn't go well i always feel like i let sherry down a little bit on that because i tried to be excited and it was i talk about this in the first book it was just it just me, I was like, hey, all right. Like standing in front of those big windows in <laughs> Times Square, you know, going, that was a new one from the Backstreet Boys coming up. We got people were just like, what's with the hostage video? Every <laughs> like, you know, every executive was just like, Jesus, this poor man. Like, are we're not making him do this, aren't we? Like, is he okay? <laughs> so that, like a, he's got, I think he's having digestive problems. Maybe we'll try to tape again tomorrow. <laughs> It was, and I real, but I really did try my best. Like I'm, I'm never been like too cool for school guy. I was like, okay, let me get excited. First of all, I'm never, you know what I mean? Excited. And, uh, I mean, I am, I'm excited about life and all that stuff. I don't mean to be like downer, but I, I, I'm never in that demeanor and you really have to be tenfold, especially on those cameras where, you know, you know, <laughs> they're great actors like back then they would play a song that they may not be passionate about and they would appear to be very passionate 
Like to me, if I could do that, dude, if I could do that, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> if I could act extremely passionate about things I was, I had no interest in, I line I starts to the left. I've seen, <laughs> dude, I've seen you do that so many times. Uh, pretend that I yes. like something when I don't. Yes, yeah. really? But Can my, you do? We that? had a show but, on Fuse that I wrote, and uh, yeah, you could tell when we would have guests on Stephen didn't care about because you could tell by your body Cause language because you, you shouldn't that because that's professional and everybody would call me on it people my friends at home would be like boy you hated that dude and i'm like fuck i'm supposed to be objective see that's what i loved about that's your show, awesome though, that, i like that i think the world the world needs more of that yeah are people trying to be well, nice no, yeah, and failing well, miserably at yeah, the national level just, well, but there's something there's something kind of honest about that, right? Yeah, the I people think, that I think, are successful. I mean, not to be mean, but like I feel like those other people that can just be excited about everything. I just get the feeling like I don't. They're not. They don't. Do they really get excited about anything? Like Steven's oh, a passionate right. person, right? If you if you watch Carson Daly though, and and I met him, he's really times. good. He's really good. He's super he, good. What he's good at is not being there. That's the key. Like, if you ever watch Carson interview somebody, it doesn't matter that it's Carson, because he's so good. It doesn't, he doesn't need to be there. He's, he's very good at being celery. And I mean this, I mean, very complimentary as a host. Yeah, I get it. You you want to be there, but disappear. Like, Seacrest is also awesome at it. Like, he's amazing at it. And, um, uh, like, uh, Regis Philbin, like, he's, he, in a weird way, he kind of turns it towards himself for the most part, as does Conan O'Brien and John Stewart in certain respects but carson daly just had this great way of just kind of disappearing and letting kid rock be kid rock or yeah whoever yeah he's really he's really good almost in like yeah midwestern way that way he's He's really good radio he's an old school radio dude too and he's smart as hell yeah like he's he's a really good guy like he uh i don't know him but just like anecdotally whatever run-ins it's just like that guy's cool yeah smart gets it but i I've never, you know, I can host the moth because I'm really, I really do care about even if I don't like the story or something like that, or it's it's something that rubs me the wrong way or whatever. Like I'm really, I really think it's sweet that people get up there on stage and try and do it and stuff. So it's never hard for me to be in that situation. You when, know? when the moth start? Uh, George Dawes Green started it in 1997. <clears throat> Before that, he did it at his house in Georgia. It was just a thing at his friend Wanda's house. They would sit on the porch and tell stories and all these moths would come in through the screen to the light and they'd drink and tell stories and they started calling themselves the moths. And then he moved up here, had a couple of big books and it couldn't fit in his apartment anymore. So where, where's it done? Um, yeah, well, there's slams in 13 different cities now across the country. And then in New York, the venues vary, you know, like we have one at Housing Works Bookstore. Uh, and then the main stage shows happen at Players Club and kind of all over. You know, we do Grand Slams at Music Hall in Williamsburg and um, sometimes the Highline Ballroom. I don't know. And there's shows on the road, too, like main stage shows on the road. Speaking of which, I saw you recently at one of my favorite places, the Bell House. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was fun. And that, that was a fun show. That show made me feel so dumb. I was like, everyone yeah. is so smart. I man. know. I know. It was NPR's Ask Me Another with uh, Ophira Eisenberg and Jonathan Colton. Just two jumbo, funny brains. 
and it's like a quiz show, you know? It's a really fun show. When was it? I don't know. It was a few weeks ago I yeah, did that show. Like and three weeks ago or something. I don't know, or a while ago. Anyway. I, went, I went just because I thought they were interviewing you. Because I wasn't familiar with the thing. I was like, oh, and then uh, it was this whole other thing. But it was really interesting. Yeah, like if you do, you go, you do an interview, but then you also have to, you do this this quiz. And I was just like, oh, this can be terrible. But it's so fun. If you're the guest, they like, did you see the softballs they throw you? If yeah, you're the yeah. guest, it's so fun. <laughs> but it's like the talking heads wrote a song about water and you're like, oh, I got this. Like it's so, you get like the first five right out of the gate and you just get in this dangerous place of self-confidence where you're like, man, this is, I'm kind of nailing this, you know? But meanwhile, like the real contestants are just getting like, they're just, sitting off the side of the stage looking at you going oh my god he better not be getting points for this whatsoever like he doesn't get a prize they're doing right? ohm's law and you're getting lyrics yeah totally <clears throat> they had these like these algorithms that the real contestants had to solve they're like it's a president's first name a record producer's last name divided by two and then what would it be on the periodic table of the elements you know and like those guys were just like uh got it jackson harding michael Tungsten, go. Next one, please. And you're just like, what did that guy just do? That was nuts. But then if someone couldn't get it, they'd ask the audience, and everyone in the mm-hmm. audience except me would, like, yell it back. I, I was like, everyone knows the answer. It is, like, the brainiest gig you'll ever do. It's crazy. And none of the questions were, like, about Battlestar Galactica or anything? <laughs> no, that's just it. I'm, I think... I'm, I'm, I'm looking for any kind of... I'm looking for a gauge that I could have been there and felt kind of okay. I don't know. I don't know. They're pretty brilliant people. Yes. They're really smart folks. I was I was just totally like I met this gym on a guest pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks for the drink tickets. Yeah, totally. <laughs> is this good for the vitamin water as well or just the How long have you been sober? Uh time is in now. Um <laughs> I uh I had a beer in August of 99. August 9th, 1999, I think I had a beer. And I haven't really wanted to have one since that. That's interesting you know. because... Uh, what kind of beer was it? It was a, it was a Heineken. <laughs> like the dorkiest oh, thing you could ever have. Hey, Dutch how's it going, ladies? <clears throat> you like a fine imported beer? <laughs> I'm going to enjoy one. <laughs> like... I don't even have a good story about the last time. Oh, dude. It was stolen and totally good blow, and we were, like, in this plane. Uh, it was a Heineken at an outdoor cafe. You guys party? I got some good war stories, man. Times when the kitchen was closed, you wanted a snack, shit like that. Want to talk? I guess when the last beer is that sobering, there's no choice but to go all the way with it. That's right. Turn it up to 11. <laughs> you got the Heineken? <laughs> Hit me. I don't even need this Heineken anymore. I can get the <laughs> same feel. That's right. You know what the sad part is? <clears throat> I don't even feel this Heineken. <laughs> I just had one and I'm not on a trip. <laughs> it stopped working. <laughs> Your character in, in American Spirit obviously does drink. Is yeah. It, is it fun to kind of write about that from your current perspective? Yeah. Yeah, it, it the thing that's great that I had so much fun with American Spirit is it was just like, what would the sequel to losing my job at the record company be if I made all the decisions I really want to make, which was pretty damn easy. 
I even made a few of them when I thought I was dying for a minute. Um, and, and that vicarious thing is awesome. I mean, you know, the character Matthew is, um, I mean, it's great. You know, he, he, because he thinks he's dying, he's like, I'm going to start living today, goes into work, starts saying and doing all the things he always wanted to do at work. That lasts for about four hours before he's escorted (laughs) out. Uh, he then realizes I've got basically Monday through Friday to kill without a job. And, uh, I kind of want to keep up appearances, want folks to not be, you know, he has a house in Connecticut, least BMW. He's definitely got like all the outsides, you know, looking right. And so he just gets on the expressway every morning at the same time, gets his coffee at the same place, starts heading into Manhattan and then gets off like after two exits, creeps back in on the side roads and just kills all day in grocery store parking lots in his least BMW. Just, you know, drinking, crushing up lines with Sudafed, trying to get like the edge that he when he can't afford cocaine anymore and uh, taking free classes at the community center. And then he realizes, and then, well, things go really sideways. Um, and, uh, and then he realizes he has like, you know, over a half million miles in his Delta account still from travel with work. So then the shit show starts going around the world and it's like, you know, eat, pray, love on ether basically. <laughs> As it should have been. As if I were allowed to pass the pray love, it would have been. So when you, but nobody asked me to punch it up. When you write, like, there's your subtitle. Did you do you put yourself in those situations? Like, I mean, when you write, like, you just write. Did you just write it? Kind of like, like, did you go sit in a parking lot and? Did you fly well, around the world on Delta? Well, a lot of that stuff, yeah, I flew around the world flew around the world on Delta sort of by accident or on a handful of different airlines, some of which I can't pronounce, but um so that stuff just started adding up. So you just very thinly sort of sublimate a lot of the stuff that like you say yes to a writing assignment, you know, 23 hours later you're regaining consciousness in a Taipei airport lounge that looks like a set of a Tarantino flick. And you're like, oh, my God, am I drinking again? Like, what happened? Where am I? And you're like, oh, right, 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 right. Okay, I'm going down to Indonesia to write about the thing that they sent me on. Um, So a lot of that you just start, you know, sort of sublimating into different experiences for the character, I guess. But um, this, oh, man, there's one scene in there that really did happen. I really did. Is it the meditation scene? No, it's not the meditation scene, although I have failed equally spectacularly at that and had arguments during it and texted during it. Um, right on, dude. I just can't. Oh, man. And then people tell me, yeah, I get ain't Yeah. It's not. It's never worked out well. I'm with you. I know. And I have then, a therapist who's chronically angry with me. He's like, just sit. I'm like, you don't know what you're asking. God, I know it. I go to a meditation. I tried going to like a meditation group, sort of like Matthew in the novel, to get this down and be better at it. So I was on tour for Rock On. I met this guy who's like guru of meditation in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's like this guy that's written all these books about it and everything. And he came out to the show and I met him afterward and I was like, how do you do it? And he's like, you're already doing it. Like, you know how they say all that tricky shit to <laughs> if like... If it was, it wouldn't be asking. Yeah, exactly. He's like, Dick. You, you're, you're better at it than you think. I'm like, okay, let's cut the maxims because I need some approaches here. And so anyway... Like I would go to that group, try that group, and I would just I would resent 
It just made me angry. I'd be like, what's that one guy moving every five seconds? Like, you know, cross his legs, uncross his legs, scratch his head. Oh, I love sitting here. It's like going to the gym and seeing the guy who's already fit working out. Kind of, but it was like seeing people that are as screwed up as you trying to sit still for 20 minutes and making too much noise doing it. And you're convinced you're better (laughs) suited to fight them. Um, And so some of that stuff happened. But the thing with the garden hose really did happen. The thing with the garden hose really happened. That's all I'll say about that. What really happened and what really didn't happen is I did. I did. I did. Uh. Basically, yeah, <laughs> as I put it at the show the other night, I filleted a uh, uh, garden hose on a stranger's house, essentially, at about six in the morning, really hungover after waking up in a car in front of their house, not knowing really what I was doing, sleeping in a car in front of their house. And then I saw the hose on the, I just, I'd never been more thirsty in my life. And I was like, whoa, it's six in the morning, I'm in the suburb of Connecticut, and, oh, man, I'm thirsty. And then I was like, dude, look at that garden hose. And it was like the garden hose of like, you know what I mean? You've been so far removed from fresh cut grass and garden hoses and side yards of your youth that you see that. And you're like, oh, that is the coldest, purest water on earth. You know what I mean? And I'm, I have to, I've seen it. I now have to get it. And, um. I thought, well, that's no problem. I'll roll out of this car and sort of just keep a low profile going across their lawn and uh, and just sort of, you know, do like a little whatever sort of nom body crawl thing <laughs> across the lawn. Just stay low. Don't look low suspicious. Profile, literally yeah. low, not like <clears throat> unnoticeable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't. It's not like I was in peak physical condition. <laughs> I wasn't in peak physical condition, so I couldn't do like some kick ass like, oh my god, did a shadow just go across the lawn, or was that a man like doing recon? So it was just more like a, uh, whoops, okay, I'll walk for a few steps. Wait, get back down, just get back down. And uh, and then I I got to the hose, and I just thought it really it was just like this is going to be so sweet. And I was on my knees, I turned on their hose, and. I don't know. It just got, it was very sensual and fulfilling. And arguably now that I see it in a book that's coming out around the world, homoerotic. <laughs> um, and uh, I just went with it. You know, I enjoyed it and nourished myself, if you will. And uh, it got pretty ugly. It's spelled out in the book, pretty much note for note. But because uh, <clears throat> my system didn't want that much cold, clear, like everything <laughs> that could be happening, like from uh, the neckline up on a human body, was happening all at once, and it was both arousing and disconcerting and biologically unpleasant <laughs> um, and startling visually. <laughs> And then I thought, it's fine. No one ever has to hear about this, you know, and uh, that's okay. You did what people do on a Friday night slash Saturday morning. And I then started doing the reverse recon mission back out to the car that I woke up in. And I was like, let's get in that, figure out how we got here, <laughs> and get out. And um, 
I looked and it turned out there was a, a guy was awake in his living room just watching. I don't know how long he's watching. <laughs> But he was a nice man with a nice home, and he didn't deserve that. And he looked. We just had this moment of eye contact where I'm like, oh, shit. Like, is this guy going to come out? And, like, am I going to get arrested or anything weird? I mean, he's – we're having this moment. We're like two deer that you know they see each other, like, across a river, but they're not really reacting. They're just like, there's another one of me. Should I just continue – Going about my, it seems like there's no territory, or is there? This could be ugly, maybe. You're probably the wounded deer. <laughs> Might have been. And and then I just thought, I'll just be a good sport, and I gave him a wave. <laughs> <laughs> gave him kind of a, you know, like a, a pitcher when they're pulled out of the game. They still give the fans like a, <laughs> thanks, guys. Sorry, like guys. Do you like to think that maybe he'd been there? Uh, I don't know. I remember him looking at me thinking... You know, hmm, I wonder who's really living. Like, I remember, I imagined him thinking, like, is that guy living? Like, is that what living is? Like, is that turning it up to the max? Should I be doing more of that? That's what I imagined him thinking. I'm sure he was just thinking, like, that is so odd. But I don't think it's worth calling the police. He seems to be going back asleep in that car. Seems harmless. I bet he was thinking if there was only a way I could control the water pressure of that hose. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he was thinking like that was oddly arousing. <laughs> and I don't know. Wow, that opens up a whole uh, new chamber of me that I don't know how to address. Okay. I got to get up. I got to get up early on Saturday more often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the hell's going on out here? What is it about what is it about guys and hoses and vomit and blood and laughing and crying that just it's whew, really need to have a talk with Jan. I may not be cut out for marriage. What record label did you work for? I worked for Atlantic Records in New York for, uh, I freelanced for them for like a while. And then uh, they said, why don't you come on staff at some point? And I thought, well, okay. And that lasted a year and a half. I basically, I freelanced and didn't commit through like the high point of the record business. And then, uh, and then said, and then said, yeah, let's make this official right when the wheels were coming off. What were you, what were you doing? I was, uh, um, I was just producing television ads. Basically, I was like handling marketing for, for bands, you know. I mean, I just something I fell into, you know. I didn't really know what I was doing uh, when I first got that gig, but I just kind of figured it out as I went along and learned to produce, and learned to edit, and all that stuff. I have and, a lot of friends who work at Atlantic, and uh, I brought the book in. And I, a bunch of them actually came with me to KGB bar when you did the reading for that. Oh, yeah. And I think you talked to one of them and they, some of them had been there for a while and knew who, who you were talking about. I had no idea. I think it was sort of before my time. But it was interesting. They were like, this is crazy that this exists. Like, imagine <laughs> if that happened for like a job you worked at. Yeah. Like someone wrote a novel about it and it was hilarious. Like that must have been incredible. That was a weird time. And it just amazes me that that book, sticks around like it does. I mean, partially because I'm sure I said it 18 million times in the bio on the Moth podcast, but um, <laughs> at a certain point, 
Yeah. You're like in Australia and someone's like, let me guess, rock on an office power ballad. And you're like, I'm sorry. I know <laughs> that gets said a lot. Um, Did they make you choose that subtitle too? No, they made me come up with a subtitle. You know, I know. That's very, that seems to be a very odd thing for someone to request. Well, everybody like wants a, to take every opportunity of every piece of real estate to possibly sell something like that. You know, like they have, they're those people that we were talking about earlier. They, they are passionate about selling something that they may or may not be passionate about selling. So they're like, how many things can we put on this that make it clear what it is? You know, not that that subtitle means anything, but you know, or makes anything clear. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I completely forgot what I was saying, (laughs) but I wrote that book, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is kind of a funny, weird little anecdote. Um, A buddy of mine distributed this documentary about the band Rush. And uh, occasionally I just get these weird phone calls. I have have super whatever, dumb lo-fi, you know, life. I don't do anything crazy like this at all. So that's what's of note, I suppose, to me. But I get this call. Hey, you want to come to the premiere of the documentary that me and Evan are distributing. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Cool. I'll come. And I was like, oh, okay. It's about Rush. And wow, this is a trip. And then the Rush guys were there. So then my friend Doug was like, hey, you want to go to this restaurant with us after? And I'm like, this is so bizarre. Like hanging out with Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson and Doug and Evan. And uh, (laughs) this is kind of weird. It's just like a Wednesday night. I was going to go to two boots pizza on my corner and get a slice and uh now i'm doing this all right hey thanks for the albums and i told alex life and i was like you know just sort of for the record like you guys are really nice guys and i just want to say that all your fans kicked my ass in high school you know all the time like he's like yeah they were interesting back then when did you go to high school like the 80s i'm like yeah he's like yeah kind of stoner tough guys i'm like yeah just they wasted on me all the time i just wish they knew we were having some food here <laughs> it's like the weirdest dumb thing to try the weirdest chip to try and cash 25 years way too late and uh but there were people that think all of a sudden these people started coming around and I'm like, what's going on? Why are these guys coming around me? And they're like, coming around me. And all of a sudden the photographers who were at the event were massively confused and like, oh, that guy must be somebody. So they like start taking all these pictures of me. And I'm like, I'm, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm no one. You might want to save some of the memory card there. <laughs> and, um, there were like three people that had worked at Atlantic during that time. And then like four more that work there now that are like, who's this guy? And who's that guy? I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I landed in the, like the absolute hotbed of the only 12 to 14 people who are still noting this book rock on. (laughs) And they're all right here next to this buffet. And now these guys are, it's really, it was very fun and weird, but I, you know, I get tired of writing that kind of stuff too. I don't, that's why the novel too. I just got, I think rock on was that thing where it was like, Oh shit, this isn't, I don't, let's not, <laughs> let's not tell stories about people that are on earth. Like but real it, people, you know, it's just weird, but it it's seems not like right. You've written very chronologically. I mean, did that kind of just kind of take you up to a relatively recent point in your life where you couldn't kind of, you told everything that had sort of happened? No. 
like I, I I just felt like creatively how long come on you know what I mean like it was a little bit of like I have the luxury of not making a living at this stuff <laughs> so it's like I'm not really like some guy who's glued to like ah, but if I don't do another thinly veiled jokey memoir entirely too early I won't have the house in the Hamptons any longer. You know, like, it's, it's, I can make any choice I want. I'm like, I don't know. Here's how much I get to do one of these things. It's not going to, you know. So it was, it was like, do you really do this a third time? It seems a little, I mean, I can understand being slavish to it if you're like, yeah, you do. If you want to stay on number one, you know what I mean? But when you're like, hmm, will I lose number 26 on the extended bestseller list for my jokey memoirs if I take a creative risk? It's not that hard to, you know, you're like, fuck it, let's do something different. Let's do something really cool and weird. So now that the book is done and out, what's next? Uh, well, you know, doing the touring stuff is fun. Yeah, I only... That's fun. I never thought about how much touring goes with, you know, books and readings and things and stuff. It's odd Yeah, I interviewed someone recently who did like a, like a, basically a a comic cookbook memoir. Oh, yeah. Just did like a month of touring. Yeah. And I, and I, to hear that, you know, go on, you know interviewing bands for most of my life and that and you hear touring and you hear yeah a lot of touring with the booking like well what's that like like is that it's are so, you in a van is it shitty it's so different <laughs> it's so bizarre because i grew up you know wanting to do what you guys do you know and i was like i grew up completely on music and when i was an adolescent i was like you know someday I'm going to be on the road with a band, you know, I'll get good enough on drums or I'll become a decent guitarist or this or that or whatever. <clears throat> and um, that, for such obvious and fair reasons, never came to pass. And uh, and so the first time I ended up like going to different clubs and then to the hotel and then to the place to talk to the people was with books. And it was just like so... <laughs> it was so weird. And you meet all these awesome people totally sweet people and especially like the young people who would be like like i just want to be able to do what you're doing you know and you're like what this is a nobody's getting laid dude this is a bookstore like there's no they leave they you saw the gig they left the house lights on the whole time there's nothing let's play guitar you got drums keep practicing (laughs) Like it, it's, <laughs> it sounds like you're saying this is a cautionary tale. Yeah, to some end. I mean, because like I'm such a like, you know, I'm such a suburban quasi loser or whatever that I'm like, well, I guess the only reason to go perform is like so you can get loaded and meet chicks and like not know what state you're in the next day, you know, and like. But then somewhere along the line, I'm like, I mean, it's really awesome. I love going out and doing it. It's amazing. Like I, 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 you know, the addict in me for the first couple is like, God, man, I can't believe you don't, you know, they could do like some kind of lighting rig, right? Like, you know, or what, or like if you play a big thing, like, like I'll have like a moth show at the Fillmore or something like that, you know, it'll be like. 2000 seats in the attic I mean, is definitely like I can't why can't we just stay out for a year straight and I can like forget who I am and like have to go to rehab or something and like become like sort of a cracked torn up version of the persona that I am on stage but then write a new album and forget you know there's definitely that side of me but then once I'm over that 
I just have a lump in my throat the whole time because you meet the sweetest people, man, from like from 18 years old to 80 years old. And you just it's the coolest thing I've ever, you know, it's more than I I could have planned for myself. You know, if uh, I would just be a dead session keyboardist or something by now. It had gotten what I wanted, you know. Who's going to fill in for ELP now? <laughs> I just love the fact that I love the fact that I was aiming for dead session keyboardist. <laughs> like, hmm. uh, I might want to readjust my aim high. My, aim high, Tony Banks. Want to pull that scope up just a little bit. I was in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, and I and I did this weird ass thing where I was like, okay. Because there's a city that's encouraging you to make bad decisions at every turn, right? Like there's like you go outside to just do something normal. You're like, I'm just going to take a walk. I'm going to do something normal like I would do at home. You go to take a walk and there's just like 50 adults going like, hey, do you want do you want girls sent to your room, you know, for money? <laughs> and you're like, what are, you, what are you? Don't say that. Put that. Why are you wearing that sandwich board? It's got a naked girl on it. Sir. <laughs> like, so I was like, I'll try to achieve some normalcy while I'm here doing this gig. And, uh. And, um, and I, uh, walked, I took a walk and, uh, I thought that was a good start and I'm walking over like a freeway overpass, by the way, don't ever do this. It's humiliating. Nobody walks in Las Vegas or in Los Angeles. I can also tell you that, but I thought this was the key to achieving normalcy in weird places that I was disoriented in. And, uh, I'm walking over this freeway overpass and I get to the other side of the overpass and in the ice plant, there's, um, a bottle of champagne with like a little bit left in it and like 10 of those free uh, sex newspapers and then like a backpack that's clearly just been like jacked and robbed and then cut up and left there. And uh, the first thought that crossed my mind involuntarily was jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) And then I stood on this freeway overpass going, Dude, I think I just found the root of your problems. <laughs> you are in a city where like people walk out with like a million dollars and you just you saw like free pornographic newspapers, <laughs> an old backpack and like an inch of champagne in a discarded bottle and you were like, "Yeah. <clears throat> you win." <laughs> and I seriously was like, Turn around now, go back to your hotel, and you sit and think about what you've been aiming for your whole life. Very, like, weird. I did, too. Went back and sat in my hotel room, and I ate an energy bar. That's not the way you want to live, is it? Dan Kennedy's book, American Spirit, is out right now. We encourage all of you to go buy it and get the other books. Rock on. And what was the first one? Loser Goes First. Loser Goes First. Very, very cool. Uh, if you like us, go to facebook.com slash track. Send us a little comment or a, or a photo or, or we'll get a mailing address. You can send us your manuscript and we'll read it out loud on the podcast. That's going to be our next live podcast, us reading books the entire book to see how long people hang out. Yeah, it'll be like this Andy Kaufman. Exactly. You called Fuck You, Andy Kaufman. <laughs> Guarantee people will come buy tickets for that. Let's do it. 
Uh, we are at twitter.com slash going off track. Follow us. Follow the rest of us on Twitter. You can find out our Twitter handles on our website, goingofftrack.com, where you can donate to our podcast, which should be great. If you have the dough and like what you hear, kick in some for us. We would be thrilled to have it and continue bringing you the awesomeness that is going off track. Yeah, I think it's awesome, and so do you if you're hearing it now. Yeah!